Hey guys, welcome back to the Play Like a Girl podcast, one of the shows for SB Nation's Ohio State site, Land Grant Holy Land. We're two girls talking about sports because our opinion counts too. I'm your host, Tia Johnston, and I'm joined by my co-host, Meredith Hines. Thanks for tuning in today. We've got a big game this weekend, as in the Big Ten Championship game, so let's just kick things off with that. Yeah, so I don't really know how I feel about this game. I mean, it's Ohio State's sixth game of the season, and Northwestern has already played seven. Northwestern is a good team this year, and like we, Ohio State has yet to have one of those sleeper games where, you know, teams just kind of sneak up, and I feel like Northwestern has that potential. They've had a strong schedule. I mean, apart from that Michigan State loss, they've really proven themselves to be right up there with Ohio State in the conference. Totally agree. And like, I think the Michigan State loss was so bizarre. Yeah. And if you're looking at it as an outside observer, you're like, oh, Northwestern's so bad because Michigan State is so bad. But like, it's exactly like you said, it's a sleeper game. You know, Ohio State's had them against Purdue and Iowa and Northwestern, you know, the stage is certainly big. I certainly hope that Ryan Day has got the team fired up, but they have the best scoring defense in the Big Ten. They're allowing under 15 points a game. It's definitely going to be Northwestern's defense against Ohio State's offense. I think Northwestern has one of the best secondaries in the conference. Luckily, Ohio State's strong suit is receivers and obviously Justin Fields. We haven't seen Northwestern play an Ohio State caliber team. So who actually knows how good their defense is? And I totally agree with you about Michigan State. It's That was a fluke. Like this year is weird. And that that should not make you think that, oh, Northwestern is bad because Michigan State beat them. Totally agree. And I want to go back to something you said about the schedule because this is a weird – I get everything about this year is weird. We're just going to lay that out. Yeah. But (laughs) the Big Ten West is – like pretty unequivocally better than the Big Ten East this year. Yeah, right. Like, oh, I, yeah, Ohio, for sure. I mean, you've got Ohio State and Indiana in the East, and obviously they're both very good. Ohio State, I think we can say undoubtedly is the best team in the conference. We'll find out tomorrow. <laughs> but Northwestern has had to play Iowa and Wisconsin, and. Those are both really good teams. Well, not really good, but I was a really good team. So is Purdue. I mean, I know they haven't been the team that we thought they were going to be this season, but that's not an easy win if you're Northwestern. I mean, records aside, like, because, you know, again, everything is weird this year because so many teams, like, have not played a full schedule. But Northwestern has played almost all eight games. They've played seven of the games that they were initially scheduled to play. And, again, with the exception of that, weird Michigan State game, um, they did manage to use their strong, strong defense. I mean, they held, Mar- I mean, Maryland is Maryland, but they held Maryland to three points, which is pretty challenging no matter who you are. Yeah. What worries me is, like you said, Northwestern has played almost a full schedule, which means they got those tune-up games. Like, they got to play Illinois and Maryland, while <laughs> Ohio State, they didn't get to play Maryland and Illinois. So, I hope that doesn't play into it too much where Ohio State they're not at their peak while Northwestern is so that makes me think that it might be a close scoring game yeah and on a related note you know the fact Ohio State hasn't played tune-up games will certainly be challenging against Northwestern but it's certainly going to have an impact 
if things go well tomorrow, fingers crossed, and if they make the college football playoff, because Alabama has played twice as many games as Ohio State has now. Yeah. The so, playoff, like, we're going to get into it, but the playoff is kind of scaring me. <laughs> yeah. Like, the on-field time that Alabama, Clemson, and Notre Dame have all had against, and, you know, Ohio State will get this to a degree with Northwestern, but, like, Clemson and Notre Dame will have played each other twice. Alabama has played A&M in Florida. Yeah. Ohio State has played Indiana. Right. And then Northwestern will be the second best hopefully win on their schedule. And judging by just the most recent college football playoff rankings, I'm like 100% positive that if they beat Northwestern, no matter what the score is, they're in. I do just like forgive my bias here for a moment as a Northwestern alum. Um, but I do just want to talk about Pat Fitzgerald and the job that he's done in the past, like, decade and a half at Northwestern. Yeah. I mean, even a decade and a half, but even just from last season to this season, this is a totally different team. So it's a different team, but I'm also going to point out, like, this is their second championship game in three years because Ohio State faced a very similar Northwestern team in 2018. But... The fact is, is that, I mean, do you remember, like, when we were little babies and Northwestern was terrible? Yeah. So I, I did the preview for this week, and so I was getting into it. Uh, Northwestern hadn't won a bowl game since 1948 until they won, I think it was, it was the Gator Bowl against Mississippi State in 2012. So they, Northwestern fans will hang their hats on the 1995 Rose Bowl game which is the game that Pat Fitzgerald uh, went to as a player. But, yeah, I mean, ever since Fitzgerald has taken over, and he took over in the mid-2000s after the death of Randy Walker, but Northwestern all of a sudden was able to make bowls. Now they're winning bowls. They won three straight bowls. And, you know, they're going to go to a fourth this year pretty much no matter what happens. And, I mean, like, a strong Big Ten top to bottom is good for everyone. And so the fact that, you know, Northwestern is good is pretty exciting. And Tom Allen at Indiana, like, he's getting that program together, and hopefully Mel Tucker can do that with Michigan State. I think I read that they got a pretty good recruiting class for 2021. So, like, not that I want (laughs) these teams to get really good, but, it, yeah, it's good for the whole conference. It'll at least shut up folks like Dabo Sweeney, who, you know, (laughs) perpetuate the narrative that the Big Ten is weak because it's Ohio State – consistently puts out undefeated seasons against several top 20, top 15 opponents in the Big Ten East, like, you know, that's good for – it's good for everyone. So. I don't know how he can even – like, what leg does he have to stand on in the ACC? Oh, my gosh. And yet, also, we should be he's, – he's being a bully, so we should just ignore him. We shouldn't try to be, like, catering our <laughs> – True. A lesson for everyone. Anyway. But yeah, before we switch gears, let's just talk about the playoff. Basically, like I said before, Ohio State is in if they if they win on Saturday. But I think the two teams that have to worry are Clemson and Notre Dame because they're playing for the second time and the the committee is not gonna want to see another Clemson Notre Dame matchup. So Whatever, whoever loses this game is either going to be in the number four spot, assuming Ohio State and Alabama win, or if Texas A&M wins, they might get the number four spot and loser of Clemson-Notre Dame drops out. So 
I think that if Ohio State wins, they, the number three spot is theirs. Yeah, exactly. And A&M is playing – they're playing Tennessee, not in the SEC title game, but they are sitting in that number five spot. Um, but you're right about the committee. And, you know, it's going to be super cut and dry if Clemson loses – especially when they have Trevor Lawrence back with them because, you know, then they'll have two losses to Notre Dame and it'll be very easy to kick Clemson out of the top four. But, yeah, it, it'll – what ultimately happens with the shakeout if we end up with two SEC teams like we've seen in the past uh, will be very interesting. Um, of course, Texas A&M did lose to Alabama 52-24 to in October. Oh, my. Yeah, so it's not like, it's not like a close – down-to-the-wire game like we saw with Clemson-Notre Dame. I'm just kind of over this whole season. I The whole year is just going to have, like, a disclaimer for the rest of eternity of whoever wins this playoff. I just want it to end. I don't even really care that much. I, like, what are we doing here? It's a pandemic. I know, and it was so, like, I was – uh, when I was working on the preview, I was looking at the schedule for the rest of college football and just seeing canceled, canceled, canceled on so many yeah. games. Like, it's so depressing. And then you have Mike Krzyzewski coming out last week and obviously in a basketball context and just kind of, you know, raising his hand and saying, like, why are we doing this? Yeah. And, you know, you sort of appreciate that check cause, because it's like everyone, everyone wants sports back. Like, yeah. Like, no one who doesn't want this to happen, but like, you know, just having someone to be like, is it really worth this if we can't do it safely? So, yeah, I mean, we're almost at the end of it, so just got to push through. But we have got more for you after the break. We're going to switch gears here, so stay with us. So an article came out in The Athletic this week about Molly McGrath, who is expecting with a due date the day after the college football playoff finals. So this kind of ties into our topic from last week when we talked about, you know, women in sports and Kelsey trainers post about how women in sports are a representation of women in society. McGrath is working while pregnant during a pandemic, and she literally just represents millions of women who are doing the same thing, but she's she just happens to be on camera doing it. Yeah, it was so neat, and I loved this article from The Athletic. I'm going to get you. We'll, we'll certainly share it in the show notes, but throughout the article, she talked about kind of her decision to, like, the thought process of do I wear baggy clothes? Do I hide my pregnancy when I'm on air? Yeah. Do I ask them to shoot me, like, from the chest up? And then she she was, like, right before, you know, her first game of the season, she was like, nope. And so she decided to wear, like, something super form-fitting. Like, she asked her producer to, like, shoot her, like, full body. And, you know, she was, like, out of being pregnant. And she said that a lot of that decision was driven by, like, wanting to represent that it's okay to be pregnant and that you shouldn't have to hide it. And throughout the article, she talked about her conversations with different women in sport who had faced similar decisions and, you know, maybe faced or felt regret for not – being proud and excited about their pregnancy and um, sharing it with the world like Molly chose to. It's so bizarre how, like, pregnancy in the workplace is viewed as a weakness when it's the polar opposite. And it's just, it it makes me so angry. I, you wrote in the show notes 
about a guy who was a jerk to Molly on social media. What did he say? I didn't see that. So the tweet was deleted, and uh, when Molly Molly didn't respond, she said she doesn't normally respond to trolls on social media because you can't, but she said this one actually got to her. Uh, she didn't share the content of the tweet, but she said that he was body shaming her for being pregnant and a sideline mm-hmm. reporter. And I, yeah. based on kind of the conversation around it, it was something about like sideline reporters are supposed to be sexy and you're not. And she was like, stop. <laughs> Everybody stop. Like pregnant women are working while producing a new human. I mean, I, I, respect her and it's incredible what she's doing but at the same time there's this deeper like like why why does she have to work right now in a pandemic expecting in like a few weeks so I'll just bring up the story of Sarah Walsh ESPN reporter she literally had a miscarriage on air like she so sad horrible she like announced it on instagram i think like a couple years later she was having trouble getting pregnant she now has two beautiful twins but before that she found out that she was like passing her baby on air and i'm just like why do you have to like keep working oh it that goes that's a whole nother story of our country but still it's just (laughs) that goes back to and I, i was really inspired by this article because one of the things I felt like Molly did a really good job of was balancing you know you like this is this is 2020 women are allowed to be driven and want to have outstanding careers and you know she her career is something that she values a lot and she should because she's really amazing at it but one of the things that uh she said was that when she found out she was pregnant she had this rush of joy as you probably would if you found out that you were you know, pregnant. Yeah. But then she said she immediately had had this wave of fear about her career. And she said, quote, I don't think it's right that women should ever feel that way. I think that they should feel empowered and know that they can do both. And I love that because it's like, there should, like, I don't, I don't think there's any dudes out there who, when they find out their partners are pregnant, suddenly second guess if they're going to be able to do their jobs anymore. And so I love that she's bringing voice to this and saying, no, you, like, if your career is something that you value, you can do it. Like, and if having a family is something that you value, like, you should not let your career affect that. And so I think it's really incredible that, um, you know, she opted to share her pregnancy rather than trying to hide it. And I'm just really grateful because she did show us exactly what she said she would, which is that women can do it all and that we should be able to share that with the world. I totally agree. She's amazing, and I think that is the perfect note to end the show on um, but obviously before we wrap up we have to do our shout outs what do you got so uh just really i don't know who the shout out is directly to but this is just really amazing news um <laughs> found out uh that my friend who is an emergency medicine physician got the pfizer vaccine yesterday yes so and it's just really really amazing to you know <laughs> how many times have we said that 2020 is so weird but it feels like you know, we're taking steps to be able to put this behind us. You know, we're, it will be out of the, not out of the woods. We've got a long way to go. But, you know, we're, it's, it's going to get better. And uh, it's something to look forward to. I know. I'm really it's thrilled wild. that he is safe as an emergency medicine physician who's practicing um, and that he has that protection now. I will feed off of that because my aunt got the vaccine, too. Yay! And she's been working literally 
five days a week full time in the hospital throughout this whole entire pandemic at Riverside Hospital for all you Columbus, Ohio natives. So that's where I was born. Um, same. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's so exciting. All right, that's all we have for today. As a reminder, you can follow me on Twitter at Tia Johnston underscore Meredith at Meredith Hine and the site at LandGrant33. We'll talk to you soon. We might record next week. We might not. So if we don't talk to you again, I hope you have a very Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. Thanks again for listening to Play Like a Girl. And as always, go Bucks.